0: Welcome to The Well. I'm Anson Mount. And I am Brandon Edgens. Weird times, man. Mm-hmm. Didn't think that we were going to be publishing this soon, but it seemed the appropriate thing to do. You know what's been amazing, though,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but especially on social media, people's ability to keep their sense of humor in the middle of all this has, I think, been amazing.
1: Well, I think it's more important than ever. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So a few days ago, I posted the first part of my interview with country music singer and songwriter Brad Paisley talking about this very strange moment in time. But there was a lighter part of the conversation that I also thought important to share because it's just a lot of fun. It started out with a question I'd been wanting to ask him because whenever I talk to my friends in country music, I'm always struck by the parallels between that industry and Hollywood. In fact, Nashville is often referred to as Hollywood without the tan. So I wanted to ask him about his move from a very small town in West Virginia to the hub of the industry he wanted to work in. You know, I I can recall my first time getting flown out to Los Angeles and the the first time I went onto a studio lot. I believe it was Paramount. And just being overwhelmed with the fact that I'd, first of all, that I'd gotten past the gate. Right. <laughs> but, but that I was suddenly, I was a part of this, this machine, this industry that I had always dreamt of being a part of. And it didn't matter that I was, you know, had 40 bucks in the bank. It didn't matter that I had no job. I had no, um, I had no contacts. It didn't matter. I was, I was so excited that I was, I'd, I'd done it. I'd gotten there. Was there a a version of that for you when you first got to Nashville? Okay, this is a, this is a pretty good...
2: this is, Well, this is this wasn't a, a moment of being a part of anything. It was when I first got to Belmont. I hit the ground running. I was a junior. I had transferred in, and I knew I got two years to make the connections I need to make and figure out where my place is in country music. And that might have been just as a guitar player or might have just been as a songwriter. I was ready to do whatever I could do, you know, to be a part of it. And I... I had a few names of people and one of them was a guy named I think his name was Matt Davenport he ran like the Opryland casting thing for you know singers and stuff and I had known him and and then I went to go out to Opryland to say hey if there's anything I can do to you know make a little extra money or play out here I go out to see this guy named Matt and I walk in the backstage area at the Opry House and I'm like I'm looking for Matt Davenport and they're like, Oh, uh, go down the hall and ask down there. So I go past and I walk down the hall and out of one of the, this is like a weekday out of one of the offices walks Porter Wagner. <laughs> right. And he walks up to me and he goes, gotta help you son. And I go, yeah, I'm that. Yeah. Hey, Hey Porter. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for uh Matt Davenport. He's like, Oh, you're going to want to go out the hall down here to the left. And it'll be the fourth door on your right. And I'm like, Thanks Porter, and I'm like, <laughs> well, I guess that's how it goes. You move to Nashville and you get your directions from Porter, uh, Marty Stewart. All these things like Marty has these great stories of, like you know he he was he was in the Cash family for a little while, um, married to one of them, and and he, but he and Johnny were very very close, and he he tells a great story. Like he went on the road playing as a 14 year old for with Johnny, wow. and one time Johnny got drunk. And Marty had just saved up his money and bought this old, awesome, Gibson mandolin, you know, and and Johnny took his pocket knife and carved a cross in the back of it, (laughs) like literally just took like this beautiful mandolin and just (laughs) a big, big cross in the back of the mandolin. And Marty said, "Why did you do that?" And he said, "I guess he told him he wanted him to remember Jesus." And he said, (laughs) and Marty said, "I." Could have remembered Jesus without you carving a cross <laughs> in the back of my mandolin.
0: Uh, it reminds me of, have you seen this show? Um, uh, my friend... Tiger King? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, there is that. And that's what, you know, if there's a big winner in all of this, it's the producers of Tiger King. Everybody's watching uh-huh. the show now. Yeah. But have you seen um, uh, Tales from the Tour Bus? Yeah. Oh, man.
2: I've got a bunch too that, that haven't, you know, the, the, those stories are awesome about country music. I mean, they got away with stuff back then that you couldn't do now. But I mean, I knew, I knew, so you know, one of my favorite things about my career, uh, the perks is really that, I, you know, I'm one of the guys that I, I did not shy away from making friends with the old guys. I just... Oh, I yeah. wanted, you know, I became best buddies with Buck Owens. I had to. I was like, if this man needs a friend, I'm going to be that. And what's funny is you find a lot of these guys, as legendary and as, as uh, you know, sort of popular as they are, they need a friend.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, and it's like when you when you look at some of these guys, it's like I, I really feel like uh, those stories and those things uh Those have to live. They have to live on. Like, I was the same way with George Jones. The George and Buck story is legendary of the time when George was opening for Buck Owens and he was starting to get popular and he kept telling Buck, I want to close shows now. And Buck's like, George, you ain't had enough hits yet to close shows. So George just got drunk one night and went out and sang all of Buck's songs. (laughs) (laughs) And those are things that don't happen now. Managers get involved and don't let that stuff happen. You know, I know one that's just a crazy one about George when he was supposed to be sober and Nancy couldn't go one weekend. George got totally drunk. They were cooking a pot of pasta on the bus. He threw it. He got... and When George was drunk, by the way, he was Jekyll and Hyde. He was an awful human being. And he threw that pot of pasta and busted the front window. It made a like a divot in the window, the shape of the pot. (laughs) <laughs> and they got back from the from the road and Nancy comes out to the bus and she, you know her intuition she was like George what's that <laughs> what happened to that window you know meanwhile it's bulging out it's not bulging in and George is like there was this owl <laughs> Yeah why no one's made you know the 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 Johnny Cash movie was great Walk the Line was great but why no one's made the George Jones movie yet They actually had the idea for Kurt Russell to play George at one point, which I thought would be great.
0: Because he looks a little like George. He's got the jaw. Well, I mean, what was it like for you? What was it? You know, you and I are about the same age, I think.
2: 31? 31?
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) When we were growing up, you know, that was when... uh, music was starting to get nationalized the 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 radio conglomerates were growing mtv what was it about country music specifically that grabbed your attention as a child well see i grew up in a little
2: hot spot of it and they had this thing called the wheeling jamboree which was the second oldest radio second longest running radio show to the opry So every Saturday night there was a Wheeling Jamboree and when I was 12 or 13, I was discovered by um, the local radio station when I sang at an event and sang a Christmas song I wrote and they invited me on the show. So I started to be a regular on there and see my grandfather was the biggest fan of Buck Owens and Johnny Cash and all of that. I started to play that stuff and um, and the next thing you know, there's this venue in our town, which is, you know, on the radio. And every week was a different headliner. So as a teenager, I opened for, and I can, I can start naming. I mean, Steve Warner, Vince Gill, Jimmy Dickens, Charlie Daniels, George Jones, Ray Price. Uh, everybody came through there. And they always let me open. And I would do three or four songs. And then they would do their show. And I got to know these guys. Before I ever moved to Nashville, I knew you know, Charlie Pride was a friend already. You got, so you saw
0: Charlie Pride play back in the day.
2: Oh yeah. He used to, he actually, he was the type of guy and we became really close friends, um, when I was maybe 14 or 15, I opened for him at the Wheeling Jamboree. So I'm doing my set and I'm playing songs and my dad is sitting out in the audience and this man sneaks out in the dark and sits down next to my dad and it's Charlie. He sneaks out into the audience and sits down next to my father, not knowing he's sitting (laughs) next to my dad to watch me play. Wow. Without me asking him to. And then he says, who is that kid? And and my dad's like, well, that's my kid. And he's, he's like, here's my number. Call me if you guys need any advice. He's, he's really good is what he told him.
0: And that's great.
2: So of course we did, you know, over the years and then, you know, full circle, when Obama uh, first went into the White House, he started doing uh, concerts, you know, music celebration nights. Michelle kind of was in charge of that. And six months in, he invited, they called me and said, we kind of want to have a country theme. How should we do it? We're really interested in getting sort of a, a well-rounded, sort of a few songs in the East Room type thing. And we encouraged them to use the Opry, so it was myself, Allison Krauss, and Charlie Pride went and played the White House, um, and you can imagine
0: what that meant to Charlie. I bet. Now that speaking of that's the biopic right there.
2: Well, if you saw forty, do you see forty two? No. The you know the the baseball movie about mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson. It's very similar. It would be that because there there were. Like when I finally saw 42 it was like, oh wow, I never thought of that. Like how hard that must have been. Right. Couldn't stay in the same hotel as the team, things like that. And I think there was a lot of that on the road in the day with Charlie,
0: you know. He must have been a tough mother humper.
2: <laughs> yeah. He was, and he also he also was smart and really graceful. Like the first time Charlie ever played the Opry He had this huge hit and his record label was like, "Okay, we're not putting his picture on the single because he sounded he didn't didn't necessarily sound African-American. He sounded like the stuff he'd grown up listening to. And so they had he has this big old hit. They invite him to play the Opry and there he goes and he walks out there and it's like the 60s and he walks out onto that stage and they're they're like please welcome making his debut charlie pride and he walks out and they went silent on the stage because everybody was like wait right. and uh right. and he walked up to the mic and said just uh just think of it as a permanent suntan <laughs> and the place went nuts and he was in and it was like they all just got past everything and it's ironic too that the very first performer ever on the opry was uh was an african American man who
0: played the played the fiddle I love that story uh but also because you know it just it it's living proof that karma is real because a few years later President Obama called up Brad and said that he wanted to recruit him for a secret mission what I got
2: invited by president obama um he was going to do a secret mission on Memorial day of 2000 and I'm going to say, I can't remember. It's been a, it was like the last year of his presidency. So, um, he's basically his chief of staff reached out to me who I got to know, Dennis McDonough and said, president wants to go surprise the troops in Afghanistan. He, he doesn't want to just be alone. He'd, He'd like to have somebody entertain them. Do you want to go? And I'm like, on air Force, uh, yeah so i'm like so i spent you know 36 hours on air force one
0: now i just have to cut in here real quick to let you know what was going through my head as he was telling me this i have another friend who this happened to and uh you know when somebody tells you about something like this uh, it for some reason you don't you don't want to ask any dumb questions i guess because it it you don't want to belittle the profundity of of what happened to them. But this time I was determined that I was going to ask all of the stupidest questions <laughs> that had gone through my head <laughs> the first time and when I missed out on it and I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass me by. So this is what you're about to hear. <laughs> my stupid line of questioning. How was uh, how's the food?
2: Unbelievable. Like on the way over I was a little disappointed in the whiskey selection. They had Jack <laughs> Daniels. That's it. Oh, and I even told the guys. I got to know a couple of the flight attendants and the crew and the pilots and stuff of the of the aircraft. And I I'm still friends with them. They still come to my concerts when I'm in the DC area. And I'm like, guys, seriously, something <laughs> get get some four roses or something. I mean, come on, yeah. do better than just just you know basic or get single barrel Jack. Don't don't just do basic Jack Daniels, but. um but as far as the food goes, like I remember at midnight, they're like, hi, would, would you like a hot snack? That's what they call it. I'm <laughs> like, sure, bring it. And they bring like spaghetti and meatballs at midnight. <laughs> Slept on there, hung wow. out, went what's, over.
0: What's it like inside?
2: I don't, I can't even describe, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like we had to land in the dark, all shades drawn, no lights, in secret, of course. Only person that knew I was going was my wife. Um, couldn't tell anyone, couldn't even talk about it on like a cell phone, you know. It was the coolest I-, I always wanted to be a spy. I've always said if I was anything other than a singer, I would want to work for the CIA. And um so it's close as I get having the, a mission. But I mean mission.
0: are there like their bedrooms in, in the no.
2: plant? No, there's there's um there's all of these cabinets full of yoga mats and you grab a yoga mat and sleep on the floor and they'll bring you a pillow and a blanket. Really? So I slept underneath. Even the president? No, the president has his own room. That's the only place. <laughs> right. There's also right. like a room where the, like, uh, where like if there's diplomats, like Secretary of State or anybody like that, like, like Susan Rice was on the trip and she slept in what would be the operating room for a doctor or something, you know. But they made that like into a place for a couple of the staff, the high staff, you know. And then um, in my case, I was, I slept underneath the conference room table. They made me a bed. They made me a bed there. A couple of flight attendants made me a bed there. And, uh, and, um, it was, uh, I can't even tell you. I got to make a phone call to my dad on the way back. I was about
0: to ask that. Yeah. The the, the Air Force One operator patched you, sir?
2: Yeah. Once you go, like on the way over, it was a blackout. Like you couldn't even tell anybody we were going. And, and we took off immediately on a Saturday night, as soon as the president walked on board and then and then we landed in um when we landed oh as soon as we as soon as we took back off from afghanistan it was it was open knowledge that we'd been there they they had broadcast the my performance on cnn at that point um so we took off and we're flying back to the u.s and as soon as we took off uh there was a one hour blackout for him to make a phone call to um the president of Afghanistan, like we couldn't use any of the phone lines at that point, because um, he was discussing something with him. What I forget that guy's name. Um, and then, and then we uh, we took off and we went, and I got to make phone calls because the the operator would patch you through. It's like, please accept a f-, you know, uh, hi, this is the Air Force One operator. Would you accept a call from Air Force One from Brad?
0: <laughs> and it's the cool. I mean, that was. And I, I assume that the troops were very appreciative.
2: They were. It. it you it's got to be the, a great crowd. It is, and you know, these are. You it's interesting because it's like I'm. I'm reminded of that now as I think about, I fantasize about actually playing a live concert again. And I feel like, like I was saying earlier, it's like I feel like American audiences have always been a bit spoiled by the fact that you know your favorite singers probably coming to town at some point. Um And there's been nothing like this little time period to feel like that, that, that thrill I got knowing these people are starved for entertainment and music and so deserve it. I think there's going to be a bit of that the next time I stand up in front of an audience in Los Angeles or New York or Atlanta, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird, weird time for, you know, not counting. Or you know, basically, not taking for granted the things that we usually take for granted.
0: But there's one other thing about Brad that a lot of people probably don't know, and it's probably the reason I bagged this interview. If I'm going to be honest, it's that Brad Paisley is a huge, huge Star Trek fan. When uh, so, how did you, how did you become a Star Trek fan? When did you become a Star Trek fan? My dad was so growing up. Uh, we used to watch the old
2: series on reruns, and then when the movies came out, I was of age. It was perfect, and I remember Wrath of Khan being life-changing. You remember that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, we had the same experience. My mother turned me on to it when it was on our old, you know, they'll, you remember the UHF channel, Local Access? Yep. It was in syndication on that, and then, yeah, I remember going to see Wrath of Khan with her, yeah. Wrath of Khan was mind-blowing. Uh, it yeah. was like, you
2: know, and... and so yeah I, I mean I got way in at that point since then you've
0: apparently you've turned your boys on to it.
2: I did I actually got them into it you know around the time discovery started started broad, you know broadcasting. I was like, okay, you guys need to watch this. this is really good and then um th- now do you do you know bill i do know I, I, do, I
0: do now, yeah,
2: um yeah. yeah, we're old old friends, but he I have a video which i need I need to post, but I'll send you. I'm gonna edit it together. I got him to do Bridge Crew VR with my kids <laughs> as the That's, captain, and it's the coolest. It's hilarious. As you can imagine, he's hilarious. Mr. Spock. It's yes. Where's Spock? Jasper, you be Spock. <laughs> there you are. Okay.
1: Spock. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what planet is that? Quickly, what planet is that? They're about to fire <laughs> on us. Forty-two nineteen, sir. Huh? Thank you. Very good. Well answered. Uh, what condition are, are our weapons in? Uh, full condition. Full condition. condition.
2: As you can imagine, he's hilarious.
0: Yeah. yeah he's yeah. telling them,
2: don't tell me what to do. And they're like, uh, yes, sir. But sir, sir, you're, you're going to blow the ship up, sir. I'm not going to blow the ship up. I know what I'm doing. You're out of line, commander.
1: It's just hilarious.
2: His whole thing.
1: I find this to be something that's pretty common with everyone who succeeds. They have a lot of respect for the uh, people who built the road, so to speak, to get them there. You know that Porter Wagner story. You know, like wanting to befriend the older guys. Oh yeah. You know, knowing that that's knowing knowing your history, knowing the respecting the people that like pioneered all of this stuff somewhere. And I'm sure people have already seen this. it's not really a meme, it's just a picture, with a uh, title below it, you know, learning from the master. And it's a young Michael Jackson, I wanna say like 12, something like that, in the recording room with Stevie Wonder. And he's not doing anything, he's standing up against a wall, like trying to disappear, but his eyeballs are just fixed on the mixing board, fixed on the keyboard, he is watching Stevie Wonder. And like you can tell, you, something in that picture—you can just tell—he's he, like, "I am in the presence of a master." Pay attention. Absolutely, well said. You know what I'm thinking, though. Uh, you got your
0: guitar right here. Uh, would you mind playing us out?
1: Uh, sure. Well, over here I have a uh, my twelve-string. It's um, I have the time nowadays to actually try to keep it in tune, because it's kind of a pain. Uh, I'll just start playing whatever comes into my head.
0: Is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and me, Anson Mount. Theme music by Brandon based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. The song you hear Brandon playing right now is K Sensa Mai by our friend Lou Barlow. We'll post more information about Lou's music in the show notes. And special thanks again to Brad Paisley for taking the time to chat. Have a great week, everyone.
1: K mai